0: counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. (laughs) I don't know why I did that dramatic pause but I enjoyed it. I I
1: had that Dr. Hibbert laugh again.
0: (laughs) Usually we take a county and we dive into an issue relevant to that county and then we see where in the world it brings us. Um, And we will be doing that. In these extraordinary times, we're responding to issues emerging from life within a global pandemic and also distracting you from a global pandemic with other things. This week, it's time for an Irish lesson with Mancon McGann, author of the beautiful new book, 32 Words for Field, and we'll be asking him, maybe, what are 32 words for sesh? Because God knows we need them.
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ. Now, hello to all our Patreon pals, uh, new pals incoming. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming along. We really appreciate it. It's really helpful and joyous. And obviously, the start of every podcast with Patreon plugs really is annoying. So I'm not going to go on about it too much. But if you can, do support us because, you know, bitches got to have the money.
0: Um, we have an exciting live pod uh, recording planned for Culture Night um, that we're doing with the Science Gallery. Unfortunately, due to audience restrictions, we will be staring at an empty room. Story of my life. <laughs> it will be us and guests. But it'll, it's still a vibe. And of course, um, patrons will be getting that first. And of course, hello, new patrons. You also get the Sunday Soothe. You have just unlocked the Zen level of Andres incredibly calming tones, I must say. And speaking of calming uh, tones, for, how
1: you for shit um, production though, I think had no song. It was like, I don't know how to actually put that song in. So can you just click on the link? Thanks. <laughs> um, usually the production values are much higher than when I'm left to my own devices. How are you feeling, Andrea? I am feeling absolutely fed up I'm at the end of my tether I've had enough I can't find the positives I hate corona I hate COVID life I miss the old world I miss partying I miss my friends I miss having a good time I miss times when everyone wasn't going it's parties it's parties I'm actually not looking at it's actually where we toil rather than where we find pleasure and um, and I miss I feel like. Uh, I need to just keep playing that song, never give up on the good times, never give up, but I have. So there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I empathize, I understand where you're coming from. Um. I think I'm just in kind of the frantic part again. Um, uh, yeah. That's, that's that's it. I'm neither one, f- oh no, That's a sympathetic Oh no, oh I no feel, here we go. No, I feel neither up nor down. I'm in the middle. It's um,
1: a good place to be? Is it yeah? I guess there, so. Like the calm middle where you're not having the highs and the lows. You're just having a constant. Constant is. Like
0: my goal in life rather than... You know,
1: mm. That's a total I'm sweating for the
0: highest. <laughs> okay, well, um, bearing our fragile uh, emotional states in mind, let's go to the state of the nation. So um, lots of going on at the moment. Um, I think one of the biggest... Kind of stories uh, of of the last week was um, um, Evie Hulvon's interview in the Irish Times is a story that I did at the weekend uh, with regards to the pro- uh, the prolonged harassment she suffered at ECD, and uh, you know which is so so difficult. Uh, you know if you read the story, if you heard her in Clareburn, you'll you'll understand. Uh, you know to some degree what she went through. Um, and, uh, the development sort of happening since then, um, Simon Harris has announced his attention to, uh, appoint, uh, Nolene Blackwell, CEO of the Dublin Rape Cry Centre to the UCD governing authority. Uh, there's yeah. other bits and bobs She's going done. on there. So yes, yeah, Nolan's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I just think, you know, Eveen's so brave, like, uh, you know, this can be such a trite thing that you hear people say, but like, honestly, just so courageous and, um, you know, I think she, she's affected huge change already. And, you know, it's it's no surprise considering the kind of person that she is. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's kind of got a lot of people talking this week um, and has coloured the rest of my week, really. That's what I've been in. Um, across the water, uh, our good friends in Britain are breaking international law.
1: Would you say that maybe the Brits are at it again?
0: I think that they are doing what they want and this is just the real breakdown of truth and meaning as well that when you go like when you run a referendum campaign on lies and then you celebrate how gas it was that you hoodwinked you know a nation into voting for something that was going to be really bad for them and you know right. Books like Bad Boys of Brexit and basically walk around the place not giving a shit and nobody, nobody, there, there, there don't seem to be proper kind of interventions to to stop that. Then you elect someone like Boris Johnson who's uh, dangerous basically as your Prime Minister. You know, the, one of the worst, well, I mean, obviously the worst case scenario would have been Nigel Farage as, as Prime Minister. You know, there's still time uh, that may happen. Well,
1: given and, the fact that Trump has been uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? Anything really could happen in twenty twenty.
0: Well, I think that's a long shot, but kind of a trolling kind of thing. But yeah, just this this like you know reveal of 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 England, English nationalism. uh, It's you know its impact, and then Britain, the UK, just having this kind of rogue state vibe. This is what we're doing now. We're breaking international law, and we're telling you about it. And you know, believe people. When they tell you who they are. Um, meanwhile, uh, not to juxtapose uh, the uh, British disposition with the Irish disposition, we're all fallible, but we did do something very sound with our Irish lacrosse team. Um, when uh, so, like they're going to the World Games, and one of the th- things uh, which I didn't know at all was that a lacrosse is a Native American sport, um, and so one of the the teams. The Iroquois Nationals weren't allowed to compete in the World Games on the basis that they were not a quote-unquote sovereign nation. And Ireland having a place in the World Games in 2022 um, just said, well, that's a load of bollocks and we're pulling out and you can have our place. Sound. Sound. VG. That
1: is is V sound.
0: Yeah. Uh, And do you know what else is sound?
1: There is loads of soundness happening at the moment.
0: Yeah, all of the sound news reports on RTE, which I am loving.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's heartwarming stuff. Um, And it is nice to watch. And as we've discussed before, who decided that bad news was news and good news wasn't? And obviously bad news sells and like that brings us into a capitalist commercial world which can get in the sea. Uh, But, well, not all of it, some of it. That's a a whole different ballgame. What we're talking about now is lovely stories on the news uh, of men's shed in Waterford, um, which was uh, loads of men from direct provision centres were integrating into the community, um, making pals with the locals, and it was a lovely story but also there was a floating ecosystem in blessington basin there's so many people being like stop telling everyone about blessington basin it's the most beautiful little secret in the city um but uh it was a lovely story to see the city council man telling how it was done and what's going on with the roots underneath and how it's cleaning the water and clearing the scum and maybe we could do that in britain
0: Oh, wow. That's a low blow for the British Parliament there. Um, draining, draining the British Parliamentary swamp.
1: Oh my gosh, who am I?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please, please. Took, a, took a dark, dark uh, twist there. Um, and uh, what else has been going on? Oh, bloody meat plants. You know, all of the testing, obviously, there's more cases, more cases, uh, of COVID, like this week than last, let's say. Um, obviously, we know that one of the main um, places where the virus is transmitting is in meat plants, which have mucho questions to answer about their behaviours. But because like testing is reaching capacity, the HSE basically is going kind to of stopping it temporarily and rescheduling it to next week. Hello, like test, trace, track, all of that. If you know that there are. Places that are very vulnerable to, uh, you know, the spread of COVID nineteen. Um, we know all of, like all of these amazing people who work in the in the meat plants and who are coming out and speaking, kind of uh, anonymously in many cases. I know Sir Pollock's done stuff in the Times, Brian O'Connell on, on RTE as well. Like, you know that this is a really bad environment. You can't just go, "Oh shit, yeah!" Like we've reached capacity. And we're going to do it next week. And also, why have you reached capacity? Like one of my main worries is that in this, like, you know, when we manage to flatten the curve, um, I just hope, I don't know, I hope that all of the stuff that we need to strengthen our health service and our testing capacity and all that kind of stuff was happening in the background while the health service was no longer under the strain that it was at the most acute and heightened moment um, of hospital admissions. Same goes for testing. If it do, that doesn't look like that's happening. If you have to stop testing and reschedule it to another week. And that gives me the fear.
1: But what about uh, the parties? We have to crack down <laughs> the parties, six people in your house. It's not where you work. Ugh. Um, you wrote a wonderful article in it today. Um, I think it was today, was it today? Anyway, or whatever day it is, what is time? It's a social construct about uh, Google walking away from a planned massive office rental. Um, And finally, uh, we're all, the light has been shined and loads of people have been talking about it for so long, how the soul was going out of Dublin and who are we building the city for? um, And what's going to happen to offices when everyone's working remotely? Can they be changed into um, apartments? And actually, Orla Hegarty was saying that because they're four metres high, they will become like loft apartments and it actually could have a positive uh, impact on the scabby co-living and student accommodations that will be turned into apartments at Mm. once because you'll have these nice ones with big roofs. So if they are turned into apartments, that could be great. But on the flash side... Uh, we have all these buildings and nobody in them and nobody using the, the amenities in the area. No one going to restaurants, nobody getting their hair done, nobody supporting the local businesses because they've all skadooshed.
0: Uh, they wow, <laughs> this is my new favorite word, skadooshed. Um, yeah, uh, it's, um, it's very interesting, I think, that uh, well, it's interesting to me as somebody who's been writing about this stuff for years about the trajectory of the city. And now you have like more maybe, uh, I mean, I hate the word mainstream because like I'm writing in a newspaper, but it seems to be more widespread that people are going, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't have designed the city in this way. Maybe it shouldn't have all been about like tourists and hotels and and office workers. And that's amazing that that conversation is... Um, is, is broadening. It also is amazing because it doesn't it doesn't make me feel personally insane any more than I have been for the past, <laughs> past decade <laughs> talking about, you know, waving these big flags going, this is a mistake. Please don't build this kind of stuff. It's going to be really bad. Now, the thing is, of course, loads of people will say like, well, it's the pandemic's fault. It's the pandemic's fault. And look, no doubt, uh, you know, that that's massive catalyst for things, but when things are bad ideas and you know that they're ultimately going to fail, how they show up in their failure, like what instigates that is is kind of besides the point um, because you know, uh, like as I was saying in that piece um, that you so kindly referenced, Andrea, that we built a city on risk and not resilience and, and that's always going to bite us in the ass. And what? Not on rock and roll. Not on rock and roll. We didn't build a city on rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Um once again Andrea will reference uh, that that song we built the city on rock and roll. I remember you DJing at Oxygen one year uh, in a tent. I think I was on before you, Rude. Uh you were clearly um, top, of the bill. Um, <laughs> top of the bill and um you were finishing your set which from a distance seemed to involve you drinking Uh, a lot of canned mixed spirits and uh at the the time it was the Bacardi bar they were giving us cocktails oh yeah and then your final song was we built this city in rock and roll and you made this big song and dance of like pressing play and like we built this city and then the entire electricity in the tent went oh my god I have no recollection of that but it sounds like I I had a ball (laughs) I'm not surprised you've no recollection of that it was a ball. Okay. Uh, uh, move so Moving away news. from fast... Some good news. You- oh yeah, go uh, on. Uh, Barter
1: Capital have been told that the livability of co-living units it proposed in Ballsbridge need to be addressed in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. you love to see it. <laughs> I-
0: Meanwhile, there's actually a... I think I saw Rebecca Moynihan um, tweet that, that one of the purpose-built student accommodation, the luxury student accommodation stuff that are now just like just kind of sitting there you know that emoji face that just has like the teeth where it's just like gritting its teeth um, and uh, be, they're trying to do change of use into a tourist accommodation so weird uh, nobody saw it coming nobody saw wow. that coming especially not us That's repeatedly wild. talking about it wow. um, actually on that go back and listen to our Orla Hegarty uh, episode uh, if you want to nerd up on planning she's really really excellent finally Dublin Choir uh, there's a case being taken against them by a person Um, defamation law in this country is problematic needs to go to the problem attic Uh, please subscribe to Dublin Inquirer they're a fantastic local newspaper and I love getting it through my little letterbox every month in its biodegradable transparent package Um, really really fantastic fantastic local media support Dublin Inquirer they are fantastic and an ish 32 words for United Ireland. So there's this book, right? I know there's loads of books coming out at the moment. Uh, This one is is very special. I want to read you the first page of this book. Um, It has a picture of a whale and the page does, and the title, the chapter heading is Kaleidoscope. It was my grandmother, Sile Humphreys, who taught me Irish. And when I asked her one day what the word for hole was, she replied, do you mean one dug into the ground by an animal? That's an uachas, Or one made by fish in a sandy riverbed for spawning? That's a saher Or if it's been hollowed out by the hooves of beasts and then filled with rain, it's a plebon. Or if a lobster is hiding in one, it's a foch." Or if it's been created as a hideaway by a wild beast, it's a poetish. This book, uh, 32 Words of Field by Mancomagan, is a joy. Uh, it's gorgeous. Um, and it just, like, you know, makes you acquaint. One like yourself again with the Irish language, but in a way that feels quite different. Um, Mancon is a uh, many things, including a uh, kind of an acclaimed travel journalist and playwright and author, and many more things. And um, we are obviously uh, enthusiasts of the Irish language here. Uh, Andrea was doing her pop up Gaeltook Vibes not so long ago, were you not?
1: Yeah but given my memory is so shit I still am not a fluente in
0: Irlande that's okay Um, and I you know what I find about the Irish language uh, is that in recent years because I used to do this music show for TG Carr and that was kind of when I'd be down filming that in TG Carr and Connemara that would be the place where like I'd always reacquaint myself with the language because you'd just be speaking it for you know with everyone there and not having having that anymore, I've noticed that like the words are leaving my my brain, you know. It's like you can almost <laughs> visualize them just like floating away, like, you know, when the BFG went into people's gaffes and like with his big trumpet thing and took people's dreams. That's how I sometimes feel about like the language departing. And so I've been trying to like just like speak it randomly more or just think in it more myself. So if you've had struggles with the Irish language or if you've never even learnt it or if you, like, you know, did your junior certain or leaving and walked out the door or whatever, this book is for you. It is uh, just, you know, poetic. So we thought that we would talk to the man bef- behind the book. And here he is. <laughs> So, Mancón Magán, tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't really know you yet.
2: So, like, I was born and brought up in Donnybrook in Dublin, the heart of Dublin. But for some reason, my family used to spend a quarter of every year in West Kerry in the Kirchirhina Gaeiltocht. And the reason for that was like, my, my, my grandmother was, was this Republican revolutionary, Sheila Humphreys, okay, who spent who spent 30 days on hunger strike at one point. She did over three years in prison, in and out of prison, for for basically fighting for Ireland and fighting for the language. And the reason she did that was because my great-granduncle, Theo um was with the founder of the Volunteers and, you know, with the only leader to be killed in 1916. But he was fighting again for Irish independence and for the language. So my granny's big memory, she's 16 years of age in 1916 and she's watching her uncle kiss his his wife, his pregnant wife and his four kids goodbye and go out to the GPO knowing he's never going to come back again. So basically he laid down his life for the language. And my grandmother sees this and she thinks she's going to devote her entire life to the language too. Um, So she does. Um, And then I come along in 1970, and I'm just like a foot soldier for their vision. So like the first 10, 15 years of my life was that I was a foot soldier for the vision of the Orahali from like 60 or 70 years before. And then I tried to escape the hell out of that. I just left when I was 18, went off to Africa, and then spent time in India and South America. And eventually, came back to Ireland in 1996 which was just when Tina G or TG was was setting up and my brother and I made a, a documentary the first ever travel documentary uh, for them in India and then we spent about six or seven years making travel documentaries all over the world for, for TG Car and for the travel channel and then I started writing travel books in both Irish and in English and then I started doing like plays and Irish Times articles and different things about about travel and about culture and about the Irish language. And that is who I am in a nutshell.
1: And tell us um, a little bit about your thinking in the lead up to coming up with the idea for this book. Where did it all start?
2: So this book, it's basically, I feel so frustrated at the the, the 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 paucity of thought about the Irish language. We seem to just say the exact same things over and over again about the Irish language. It was either oh, I was very badly taught, or it was beaten into me, or there's no use for it in the modern world. And I mean, you could, I mean, those are those are probably all worth arguing about, you know. And how the government mistreats the language, but from my perspective, there was so much more. So as I said, I spent all of these years living in in India and South America and Africa, mostly in with a minority cultures or minority people. And in all of those, I saw that these people who are still living in traditional ways with their own basic knowledge of the past, with their own language, had this unique outlook on the world because they had a language that was rooted to their culture and their mindset. And it struck me that that's what the Irish language is. It's one of these language languages that is truly ancient. Like we know it's at least 2000 years old, but it could potentially be 3,000 years old. You know, it could, in fact, we've there's been people living on this island for, for nine or 10,000 years. Now, potentially, some of the words that those people spoke, in other words, when Newgrange was being built and the, 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 the sort of great, the Hill of Tara, some of the words that they were speaking could now be in our language. Now, the, some of those people, the people who built Newgrange, weren't us. You know, DNA-wise, we're an entirely new um, group of people. But maybe their words kept alive and were brought alive and put into this language. And I thought, God, I would love to write a book that touched on all of those things, that we have this ancient indigenous language that is connected to really deeply rooted things. Um, And I thought if I could condense all that and put it into simple little three or four page um, chapters in a book, I would have done something.
0: There often seems to be a a kind of lack of framing of the Irish language as something that is bespoke, not just to... People in Ireland, but to our experience, how we navigated a a world and a place that is obviously very different to what it is now. Like, do you think that that kind of um, perspective has been lost a little bit as we try and shoehorn, you know, new words into contemporary language or shoehorn the language into contemporary life? Yeah.
2: So it was clearly uh, Irish language was and is a language that is like, ridiculously embedded in the natural world that we were living, you know, until a generation or two ago. And it was like, when I was growing up uh, in those months in West Kerry, we were still, like, Collecting, you know, the milk was being brought to the milkery on the back of a horse and cart, to the back to the to the creamery, I mean. You know, we'd be gathering in a field all of us together to harvest hay. Just often, I mean, tractors were were um, were, were were there at the time, but people still had the spal, still had the scythe, and then we were just, you know, gathering them up in 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 haycocks. And then the, the boat, you know, the, the boatmen at the pier were in the Navogs, you know, in this basically canvas and Timber boat that had been the same boat that we we would have used when we arrived here, like four thousand years ago, so there was this ancient tradition, and then, as I said, my granny got most of her lang Irish when she was um, spending summers on the Blaskets between about nineteen o nine and nineteen eleven and there they were collecting eggs from the from the sh- seashore like or from the cliffs they were you know climbing down the cliffs to do that. they were killing seals to collect the oil again from little navogues or Curraghs. so that is that's not just a medieval world. That is like a, a Bronze Age world, a Neolithic world. Um, and so the language that we were using was connected with that. And so you get this amazingly rich um, lexicon for, for the words for all the different type of cliff eggs and uh, um, sort of cliff ledges and cliff elements or the stones or the rocks or the fish or the fields. Um, and that's the richness. It is sort of rooted in rudiyatirul kreul nihul things that are earthy, real, and elemental. Um, and so, yeah, when we do, when we're fixated with trying to remold and refashion the language into the modern world, I, I mean, it's it's a trick, it's a game one can do, but one doesn't realize. All of us seem to strive for a connection with something that is real that is elemental, that is core and that is nourishing. And it just happens that that's what this language is. You know, for, for thousands of years it is built up out of the land. Um, very like, you know the songlines in Australia, the Aboriginal uh, culture, where they have these these words and these terms and these phrases that basically sing up the land. They are so rooted to the ancient memory of the land that they bring it alive. So there's an element of that to the Irish language.
0: Mm. Do you think it can be kind of also framed as a portal, not just to another time or, or, or a, a parallel um, environment that existed in another time, but also to other other places? I mean, there's all, often things that are very um, hallucinogenic in, mm-hmm. in some, some of the older Irish um, terms and turns of phrases and so on.
2: Yeah. So again, you know, now we, we often think of with the dia, and by and and Banach that the language is all about Christianity, that it's sort of, they say, you know, you cannot be agnostic and speak Irish. It is so rooted in Christianity. But that's a misinterpretation. That word dia or day, you know, it's from obviously the Latin Deus, this word that came in for God in the fifth century when St. Patrick came. But actually, the Dia that they were referring to was this God of um the other world. It was a god. God of everything, almost like the animistic God of any um, indigenous culture, where there is a God in every leaf, in every raindrop, in every petal, in every blade of grass. So it is this, it is this um, elemental God of nature and all beings, um, even within the word dia. But beyond that, there was also you know, the other world. So, you know, the, the Irish verb district or region or place is counter and the opposite mm. is water and altar was the other world. And there was only like this, this thin line between counter and altar. And like, you know, if you even ask your granny or definitely your the next generation back, they will have memories of connection with that other world or people who believed in that other world. Like there's a word, Pukin, there were people who were known, who were able to cross from one realm to the other, from counter to altar, to, you know, to the other world. And Pukin means a supernatural covering that allows otherworldly beings appear in this reality. Basically, it's like a, a Harry Potter's invisibility cloak, you know? So there are words for, as you say, these hallucinatory um, w- experiences that we can have in the real world. Yeah, I should just say Pukin obviously has other meanings. Pukin can mean a blindfold or it can mean a goat muzzle or it can mean a tin shade for putting over a thieving cow's eyes, Basically, it puts a bit of metal over its eyes to stop them looking at other things and, and going wandering after them.
0: Um, Amazing. It would be a good word for VR uh, devices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it
1: sounds like we were having loads of crack back in the day making up these words. But what bits were you itching to write for this book?
2: I think it was the wider parameters, the wider perspective that the language can give us on, unlike the everyday life. So let's say the words for light. So if this is a language that is obviously way pre-electricity, I mean, it's pre, it's pre a fixed concept of reality of a fixed world of sort of a definitely provable, quantifiable world. So um you know, and so now we look at light, we either look at it as, a, as something we switch on or we think we we think we understand how the sun works, but this is a language that came before that, so for like there 's four different terms for different stages of the dawn you know there's braku and lay bonu and lay Irina grain there's you know they ha- they could see these um these sort of trace parts of the sun rising in the in the land. But even the, there's words for, for magical lights appearing or even semi-magical lights in all sorts of different places. So Tinicris is flashes of fire sparked on the stones of a road by a horse's hooves. Or, or like um, Lasbon. Lasbon or, um, or Leosbon, sorry, dancing coloured lights that appear before your eyes at times when you drift a little bit too far towards other dimensions. So words like this Give us this glimpse not only into the past and how our you know our ancestors might have melded from one to the other, but they for me they were reassuring and this was the thing that I wanted to capture. It I find it um, it makes more sense to me in the world that actually I can li- I can drift a little bit out of this world to, to the other world. Like there's a there's a word umusgrana and umusgrana means sun inspirations. So it's referring to the blisters on the leaves of certain herbs, which would be caused by the sun, again, this potent light going down onto the leaf, burning it. And then they said if you ate one of those leaves, you would have a magical trip or you would have the inspiration for writing pure poetry. And I wanted to capture, like I feel so captured, so confined sometimes in just the grim reality and sort of drabness of the everyday world. And I'm always seeking escape. And I want to convey to people that if you want a little trip, if you want, like we're now going onto the yoga mat or we're doing mindfulness meditations, but if we want to escape, we don't really need to go into Indian or Sanskrit or Buddhist culture. Actually, it is all encased, encoded within this language, if we took the time to look.
0: Some of the
1: words, though, are a little bit less encased. Um, we were uh, talking about the writings of men versus women and the lack of record of words for uh, women words women would use maybe about sex or about their own body parts or about those kind of things, whereas because it was a lot to do with scholars not um, recognising women or asking them for their input. How has that influenced the language and of the record of it?
2: Yeah, so this is complicated because some of the greatest shanachis, Sianachis, the storytellers that were recorded, um, by the the Folklore Commission in the 1920s and 30s and 40s were women, like the likes of Peg Sayers. Um, and so, you know, we know about the book Peg, which was a school text for a long time. But Peg's actual storytelling um, that's recorded is a lot looser and a lot freer. And she was a... A uh, ballsy, strong, opinionated, open-minded woman. Um, and again, you know, my granny and my mum knew her. My granny, you know, knew her very well when she and Peg was young, and on the Blasket Islands. And my granny would be encouraging her to 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 write down her stories. My mum knew her when she was in in Dingle Hospital as an older woman. This woman would have had no shame, or no re- neglect, or sort of no yeah. Re- um, regrets or reluctance to talk about her body and the issues of sexuality. But the problem was, it was always men who were coming to interview her. And Noel Lí has a really interesting thing. The, the poet Núln Lí she believed, she was brought up a lot of time in the west of Ireland, in sort of West Kerry, in the Corkerí na and she believed there was no words for sexuality or for female issues until she married. And at that time, she was brought in, as she says, into the back kitchen. And she heard the women... Um, speaking an entirely different type of language, a really open language among themselves that actually was really rich in its expression for for the female mindset and the female world and the female experience. It just was never written down. And so Peg, even if Peg would have trusted this, um, you know, the English folklorist who was coming to her, if she knew that the priest was going to read it later, she was going to restrict herself. So we've lost so much. Everything has been written down from a male point of view, from a male perspective, and and um, limited in that way. But what gives me courage is it's not too late. So I'm doing a project at the moment for Galway 2020 called Sea Tamagotchi, uh, like ocean kind of Tamagotchi, where I go and collect the words. In February, I went around Mayo and Donegal collecting coastal and sea words uh, from the old fishermen. And it was so easy. They were so willing to tell me Oh, just awe-inspiring, phenomenal words. It just gives you an entire different look on the world, like kablu. Kablu is the loneliness that appears on the shore uh, when you feel this other sense of the other world creeping up on you on the on the coast, on the shoreline. Now wow. the same is there, the same is available for uh, words to do with the female world and the female mindset. It just takes some open-minded, knowledgeable young woman to go around. And ask the women to build up their trust. I suppose it's a little bit more complicated to ask about sexual terms or about a female perspective than it is asking fishing terms. But they're there if someone, you know, if someone takes the, the time to go out and, and look and record them.
0: Now we know what Andrea's next career move is. <laughs> I've got a
1: person in mind for it already. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, what bits were you really itching to to write? Were were you know when you heard them, you just instantly thought, "This is going in." One of
2: them was um, the how the uh, the Irish mindset would have seen the environment I mean you know only in the last twenty years are we beginning to realize that actually we have uh, we 're going to have to come up with a entire new perspective to how we see the land and clearly because we 've been seeing it as in this exploitative way, and when I looked at, when I started looking at from the Irish perspective land, even fields, the word, so you know this, this book is titled, whatever, 32 words for fields, I probably could have come up with 45 words for fields, but what they do is that show us, they show us that the that we in Ireland were able to have a really subtle, sophisticated view of the landscape in other words, all, of all the things that were impacting on it whether the, um, the ecology whether the weather, whether the social systems, whether the time of the year so like and we sort of we encoded that knowledge the wisdom we had about the land in these words for field like there's a word rain rain is an upland field for cattle um is a marshy field taunach is an Arable fields in an arid area. Lusset is a neat, neat well arranged field. Quiverin is a field worked in partnership with some neighbours. And then there's even words for fields where something happened long ago but no longer happens now, like budon. Budon is a field which had gorse or furs in it and that they were then cut with a sickle or a scythe um, and that would be called a budon. But let's say you had an upland field that had gorse or furs in it and they had been removed, but not with a sickle, but it had been burnt. That would be a lust gone. And I just think in this time where we desperately need to come to a new relationship with the soil, with the land, with the environment around us. And we, we're, we're, we're astounded when the Shannon suddenly floods and we lose some land. All of that is actually um, preserved within these words. And that was something that blew me away and something that I really wanted to share.
0: When you talk about um, how connected our the people who came before us were to different aspects of nature and also to other worlds and um, almost transitionary worlds, um, parts between where we exist on this plane and others, how invested do you think our ancestors were in psilocybin slash magic mushrooms?
2: Yeah, Um or, or maybe, or even, did they need them? You know, I, I mean, <laughs> they're they're a great um for way in. But uh, when I, I mean, when I, like, well, first you've got to look, not even psilocybin, but look at Amanata muscaria, at fly agaric mushroom, you know, the red toadstool. Hmm. Then you look at how many of these, you know the word brack, brack is speckled. How many yeah. things are speckled in mythology? How many things are red or deep crimson in mythology? And, you know, the, the fly agaric mushroom, which is both deeply, incredibly healing and curing, but also powerfully hallucinogenic and poisonous. So be careful. It's uh, you know fly agaric. People can take fly agaric. So sometimes people. Anyway, you can take it if you, if you are knowledgeable about how to take fly agaric. Um, don't be totally scared away by it. But it can it it calms down muscles in the body. And if it touches the heart, it can calm down the heart and just stop the heart moving. But but there is so many potential references of the uh, or to, to this to that particular mushroom in folklore. So let's say. They say that the knowledge that is in the Shannon River and that Fion McCool had, the knowledge of um basically true wisdom and enlightenment, came from the Bradon Fasa, the Brudan, this speckled salmon um, that was found in a particular underwater lake, and he got it by having a hazelnut, a magic hazelnut dropped into the water. So and that word um the 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 the, the same word for um huh. Where was this now again? Oh yeah, it was called bulligis. That meant the bubble of insight, okay? That um the Bradon fat that the salmon of knowledge got from this magic hazelnut. But that bulligis, that that bubble of knowledge or blister of um insight, also called a cro a is also the name for some mushrooms, because of course they too give you this insight if you take them. So we know that they were aware that the w- of the wisdom of the plant world, particularly the, the fungus and mushroom world. Um, mm. And it goes down to layers like the she, you know, the she is now, or the sheoga, the fairies, which we think is uh, something that you just, you know, is available for Americans who come to Ireland or the leprechaun. Like, I have a whole chapter on the leprechaun in the book, fairly profound um, um sort of figure in Irish, uh, the Irish mindset. But the she, the fairy came from, it came, the word she came from the she, which used to be a fairy mound, an earthwork. And it's the same word, S-I-D-H was the old spelling, it's now S-I, um, it's the same word as S-I-D-H, which is the she, which is uh, peace. So in Gaelic in, in, Sc- in Scots Gaelic, it's the same word. S-I-D-H means fairy, S-I-D-H means peace. So now we know that the fairies we have are actually also connected with this idea of of peace or peacefulness. And it's the same root as the Sanskrit word Siddha, S-I-D-H-E, or S-I-D-D-H-A. And Siddha in Jainism, in in Hinduism, um, is um, an an, an enlightened being. So suddenly we see the concept of our fairies are connected linguistically with the exact same concept of an enlightened being in, in kind of in Indian culture and we realized god not only were these fairies like little leprechauns who kind of would steal would have a pot of gold they actually were these otherworldly beings that contained wisdom and were looking out at us and that we could connect at any time by just you know sitting under the the hawthorn tree or going to the fairy ring
0: mm. i mean also fairy rings are are mycelium networks right like um ringed mycelium networks yeah they are so so in some in some you know, parts, I suppose.
2: Yeah. So, you know, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, all mushrooms grow in circles. Um, they circle out through the world. So, but often we don't see the circle. So, uh, but is so the fairy ring, as you say, can refer to a ring of any type of mushroom from, um, from puffball mushrooms to magic mushrooms that appear in a ring or honey fungus even. Um, but they also refer to, yeah, to those stone rings, these clachons, which are just former hom- homesteads for me, the yeah. age. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I had never even thought of that connection before.
0: What part of it um, made you saddest? Oh, Andrea wants to know what, what part of it made you happiest, writing it. <laughs> Which should I go for? Uh, I mean... Pick I said, happy, like
1: take the happy route, pick the happy route.
2: Yeah, but I, I mean, I sort of have been focusing on the happy. I do need to go down into the sad. Like, there's a big thing that I've avoided in this book, and that is... Like now and then I give all these words and then I say, okay, probably 70 or 80% of these words are no longer available. Or all of the words that I would have easily heard in, in West Kerry when I was young are just very much harder to hear now. Um, and what we do know is like the Irish language clearly is growing in cities, but that wealth, that amazing depth of all of these terms is going. And that, that does make me sad. Like I purposefully didn't concentrate, it, concentrate on it in the book only because I know the knowledge is still there. Like the words are still there and the insights they give into all of these herbal cures and to this other non-reality-based way of looking at the world are still there if we choose to go back and get them. But it does make me sad to think that, um, like, oh, there's so many ways. Even like the word skim. Skim means, uh, means a tiny speck or a subatomic particle or a piece of flour or dust. But it used to mean... It used to mean a fairy film that covered the land. Or it used to also mean succumbing to the supernatural world through sleep. Wow. So, you know, I'm, I'm not too despairing because I know we can rescue these terms and this mindset still. But I have to say it, it is sad that, that so much is, is gradually fading away.
1: Do you know what isn't sad? The sesh. Go Would on. you say there are 32 words to describe the sesh or party?
2: ha <laughs> ah, there's a load of words to describe, yeah, um, sort of absolute fun and rambunctiousness and just chaos, so you know luckily, we all know re re and we all know Royal boiler, but um there's a I could probably give you another. Um of which is the sound of voices raised in fun or revelry and commotion, or buk means just utter chaos and rascalment and merriment, or randy means basically the same thing, or killem a or or did I give you hurlumabuck? Um I can, you know, there are loads of words for going out on the lash and just living wild and uh, singing and dancing and converting.
0: Well, we're looking forward to that returning to our lives sometime soon. Mancon, um, now I know the book is uh, sold out in a lot of places because it's been so popular. Your publisher, I believe, is printing more copies. They should be available soon. There's still some knocking around in different towns and villages and, and cities around Ireland. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much um, for, for sprinkling uh, your linguistic magic on our podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with, with the, the journey this is going to take you on.
2: Agar, Mila, Margaduna, and Andrea, thank you so much to the two. Of you. I really appreciate it.
0: Volchroads, long fault. For... What's getting in the sea, Andrea? This week
1: it's really a really annoying thing. Well, all our get in the seas are quite annoying. But uh, Castor Semenya is an Olympic 800 meter champion and she had a legal battle against regulations requiring women with high testosterone to take medication to compete internationally um, in races um, and she took a case and she appealed it and the Swiss federal tribunal said that it supported the court um, last year that said, Uh, what they call athletes with differences in sex development um, which basically means have more testosterone that it was necessary, reasonable and proportionate um, that these women should be made uh, take tablets to lower their testosterone so for them to compete with their natural bodies um, or whatever they have to numb down what makes them like really good athletes. And there was a lot of comparisons between like male athletes who like, this is what makes him such a great swimmer, or this is what makes him such a great runner. Whereas these women are being asked to take drugs to uh, stop them uh, being so great, I suppose. Her uh, comment was, I'm very disappointed by this ruling but refuse to let world athletics drug me or stop me from being who I am. Excluding female athletes or endangering our health solely because of our natural abilities puts world athletics on the wrong side of history. I will continue to fight for the human rights of female athletes, both on the track and off the track until we can all run free the way we were born. And there was actually just an announcement uh, before we came, before we came on air um, that, um, th- more black women have been disqualified because of their hormone levels Francine Neon-Saba um, from Burundi Margaret Wamboy from Kenya um, and Castor Semenya from South Africa so I think there's a lot of questions that are raised by this um, and obviously when we bring our trans sisters into it there's even further levels um, but I think just the whole the um, fact that this is being legitimised is absolutely outrageous and can completely get in the sea.
0: Yeah, like imagine like fighting so long for just your true self to be able to compete and display your talents. Like it's in it's in absolute bits. But um, so imagine if you
1: had a really high, beautiful singing voice and you were well. Actually, this happened to Christine or to Britney. Um, because her voice is too similar to Christina's. So they brought her tone down lower so they wouldn't have the same voices. But it's it's literally the same. It's changing your voice to not be as good because somebody else is better.
0: It's funny how um, <clears throat> it's women who always get screwed over in these kind of things, don't they? I mean, do they test men for like, I don't know, do you have like particular estrogen levels if you're some you like have, you have extra test,
1: test ballet dancer? World. Like, like uh, do they test men to say, you've got too much testosterone? We have to kn-. No, they don't. And yeah. like, how dare you say that the measurement of testosterone is what makes a woman piss off. Get in the
0: sea. Strong agree. And now it's bananas. It's bananas. <laughs> no, this is totally bananas. and
1: um, I I just can't. This is the Avon again This is your This is you're obsessed You're obsessed <laughs> Well Imagine how joyous I am usually About the Avon And then wait till you see How upset I am And why this is so bananas
0: Please explain What this is To our listeners Who are not currently Residing in Blessington <laughs> Such as yourself
1: So Avon is this amazing, amazing place that I love going to. It's an outdoor pursuits area, but it's also got glamping and it also has, they kind of Um, brought in loads of food trucks. So the big blue bus was there from Body and Soul. Nods Bongi was there. You had a barbecue, big red bus, like and loads of picnic tables, all social distance. It was a joy. And it really came into itself over COVID. Um, And I really found solace in it because I was really suffering from not being able to be in places and with people and it had a festival vibe that we couldn't go to all summer but it was so well done everyone was so really good at social distancing everyone followed the rules all that jazz so there I was like I may have mentioned it once or twice in some episodes but I've also talked about it a lot to my friends so I made one of my friends come up to visit me to go kayaking because I'm a kayaker now but also my kayak teacher is teaching me how to ride a bike what a dream boat. Uh, I can't but, wait for this. We can be in a bike gang finally. Not in Dublin. I'm, I'm a driver. I would never cycle a bike in Dublin. Uh, but there I was, arrived up to the Avon and it, all the outdoor area, beautifully overlooking the lakes, all green fields, whatever, roped off because they were only allowed to have 15 people outside, but they could have 50 people inside. So you've like these rolling hills of field of grass that people can't sit on at tables that are miles away from each other because of these stupid, stupid regulations. And I just, that was what I think might have turned me up over the edge and just was like, ah, for fuck's sake, I can't cope. That's absolutely bananas. So you're allowed to have 50 people inside, but you won't have people sitting outside. And then something that really struck me, and I saw somebody talking about how the to- giving out about parties all the time is almost manufacturing consent for author- authoritarian laws, and um, because people then get on the bandwagon and because they hear it so much, they're like, "Oh God, well you can't do that because that, like that's that's the rule." So it makes sense. And, it, and a few people got back to me going, "Well, I heard that somebody was drinking a beer without having food, and they were sitting outside, and that's why they cracked in." It was like, "Can you hear? Like that doesn't make any sense. Who cares?" Mm. <laughs> it's rules for real sake and I just was like okay this is fucking bananas
0: yeah I mean I think that what you're coming back to the central aspect of um, the kind of the behavioural science bit that makes people stressed and annoyed and downhearted is all rooted in the cop on factor lack and of the, the lack of logic we've done a whole part on it and mm. oh, can I just say that, like, we were one of the first people to have the now famous Peter Lunn uh, on on a podcast, um, who is amazing the behavioral science scientist in the ESRI. But like this, the logic gap—you'd um, be raging, like the fact that as I was writing uh, last week, um, that you can have the same amount of people can come over to your gaff for dinner as can be in the tree arena. Um, That's bananas. That is, that is bananas. That's bananas. So it what? So in, in conclusion, Andrea, what is actually bananas?
1: The lack of logic that is being applied to the uh, rules. And I think, like I was getting my eyelashes done today and we were talking, like the girl who was doing it was like, I just really miss Leah Racker because everything was so much simpler. And obviously, there's a difference between going into a lockdown and coming out of it. But you just have to think that the communication strategy and the logic that's coming uh, through and Stephen Donnelly being an absolute like banana um, is the nicest word I could probably have for that um, just is not winning any favours and is not helping and like it's not really surprising god here I go, it's not surprising the numbers are going up and the Rails don't make sense but that in essence is what's getting in the sea
0: or, no, I that's agree, no that's what's bananas uh... I agree with all of that apart from someone missing Leaf Racker. Okay, now now on to uh, oh 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 yes the fun bit. It is time for our fave bits. Woo! So here oh, are my fa- <laughs> here, here are my fave bits this week. I went to a thing. Uh, this is what happened. Are you ready? Yeah. Um. The Dublin Fringe is on. I walked into Dublin City Centre, our nation's capital. And I people. queued. I queued outside a building. I went inside. I sat down and I uh, heard. You know, was an audience member for, uh, like a two-hour kind of talk presentation thing on Dublin Digital Radio, so I was at a thing. Uh, Now, I know you have been at things, you've been at drag shows, and I don't know what else you get up to, Andrea, it's all sorts of madness, Um, but I have not, and so this was very exciting. So I went to a thing, and I would like to go to more things. It
1: reinforces the humanity of what things provide.
0: Mm, It does. Uh, So yes, uh, The Fringe, Dumb Digit Radio, going to a thing, it was amazing. My other fave bit is a series that passed me by until my very good friend, Isabel Hayes, uh, who is a fantastic uh, court reporter, said to me, had I seen press on Netflix? And I said, no, I had not. And this is a BBC series from 2018 um, set in rival tabloid versus Guardian-like newspaper. Uh, totally passed me by at the time a little bit, you know, cliched and, and little gets a little bit scandal uh, towards the end not that there's anything wrong with that oh my god. scandal, it's fixed oh. <laughs> it's handled, not it's fixed
1: oh god, that's cheesy, there's my memory but
0: like <laughs> but yes, but hang on let's get back to press uh, six episodes, underrated underrated, found it quite enjoyable um Now, my other fave bit was, I think he was a fave bit last week, but there's an update to this fave bit, is David Balfe, um, aka For Those I Love. New video for his track, I Have Love. It is gorgeous. And this guy is unreal. His album's coming up and it's going to be released by September Records. September? September Recordings, which I believe is the new label arm to September Management, uh, which includes like Adele and... Rick Rubin and Richard Russell and all that kind of stuff. So to see an Irish artist um, getting in that kind of orbit straight out the bat is amazing. He is brilliant. Now I want to hear about your fave bits. First up, hashtag
1: clubbing is culture. My favourite thing in the world. Uh, We, aka No More Hotels, are doing a little project for Culture Night to position clubbing where it should be in its rightful place as culture so we are doing a call out at the moment if anyone uh, has some passion uh, for clubbing if they could go onto their Twitter and uh, tell us why they believe clubbing is culture, what it's done to their life, what it's changed, um, et etc. And because that is going to be projected by algorithm around the city on some places that will remain secret for now. And then afterwards, there will be some surprises coming out. So keep an eye on the clubbing is culture handle, follow number no Hotels on Twitter, get involved um, and let's position our clubbing where it should be at the bosom of culture. Um, hmm. Then next is Louise O'Neill, who I love her book, After the Silence. Um, I am absolutely raging because I was in the middle of another book and my mom scooped the book out of my hands and is reading it and won't give it back. That's another, I won't say another bad thing. That's one of the joys of living um, with your mother while you're still waiting to move into your home. Um, any day now. Um, but... I will, I'm will. i very happy for Louise. It came in at number two on a partial sales week. So fair play to you, Louise. Another favourite bit. I have it in and I was going to take it out because I can't stop talking about it. But it's going back in again. Kayaking at the Avon is stunning. It's so beautiful and tranquil and so close to Dublin that you're literally, I feel like, don't you know when you watch those films where they're like in the Rockies and they're kayaking or whatever and it's like tranquil and nature and all? That's the image of me when I'm kayaking. I feel at one with nature and life. I can they speak- start paying for these ads, by the way, Andre. I mean, no, it would be really was a really great revenue time. stream. That wasn't about that place. That was just kayaking in general. It's a really lovely G- thing to do. Generic, non-location specific kayaking. Yeah, because I'm going out in the rivers. I'm learning how to properly kayak so I can go on the rapids and all like. Unreal. yeah. Uh, yes.
0: Kayaking is the covered one. Canoeing is the open one. Is that correct?
1: I don't know the difference.
0: I haven't learned the lingo. I'm learning the skills. <laughs> what or is it the other mean? way around? I think it's the other way around. Uh, please, tell me more about, please tell me more about your five bits. I'm enjoying them. My other
1: favourite bit is in keeping with my nature vibes, because I'm like anyone who thinks me is just like, oh my God, she's just so mad into nature. Um, Wednesday's weather it just was really spectacular and really hit me in my soul because it was just the perfect Irish weather. And now hear me out, why? It was...
0: This is fresh- in Dublin now, just listeners, yeah. just so you know. Is the weather not the same in all of Ireland? <laughs> I'm only <joking.
1: laughs> uh, Can't wait to get back to the rest of those counties. But um, Wednesday's weather... It was crisp. It was fresh. It was sunny. There was no clouds. The sky was so blue. It was the image of optimism. And do you know what we could do with some of that a bit more? And it was just, it just the smell in the air or something. It was just, oh, it was like Ireland. If I could bottle Ireland, that's what it would be for me. And then finally, uh, this is really exciting because I um, seldom when I'm in my homestead off St. William Street and one of my favourite places to go since forever is Coppinger Row and they have a space beside the restaurant that is opening as a gallery. So yeah, to kick it off, Connor Berean, who is the co-owner, the brother of Mark, he is an artist and he went to St. Martin's um, and he has his first exhibition called Nobody in Particular, opening on the 25th of September in the new gallery in Copendouro. So I would say to go to it because his stuff is really
0: gorgeous. I didn't know he was an artist at all. There you go. Oh my God, he's, he's a really good artist. Amazing. There so uh, the, that's great. There was, those are great five bits. I feel cheered up almost. Oh. A- almost. Well, uh, next
1: week's episode is going to be Only Positive Vibes. Mm-hmm. isn't it? We're going to do a whole episode filled with hope Yes we and are because we need it
0: Now tell me about the tuna chicken roll you appear to have selected two
1: So I have two because like last week when I was trying to get the music off one computer into a recording I couldn't figure it out so I don't know if this will be possible because one of them is only in one format but if we can do it it's WAP by Toxic. Have oh, yeah. two better songs ever come together? It's an absolute tuna chicken roll, and I love it. But if not, another glorious tuna that I've been listening to driving on my seven-hour drives everywhere is God. I can't, do you think I might be at the end of my frustration? <laughs> uh, another one is hallucinate, and it's by Liba but the remix by the, I don't know what the word is in musical terms but don't you know when you listen to music of the electronic variety and the beat is like riding a horse 4-4 four, four beat yeah that, no it's not just that anyway Ten Snake is the master of it and his a ring- galloping beat Galloping, it's my favorite. It literally illuminates my soul. What do you mean? Can you give us a, a beatboxing example of what Absolutely you mean? not. Listen to Haleesa make my Ten Snake and you'll get it. <laughs> um, so there's two tuna chicken rails for you this week. There you go.
0: That's some uh, live production notes there for Andrew. Andrew will have both if possible. Um, if not, uh, just the first one there and then the second one. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes Andrew, like when we send him the production notes, he's just like. Sometimes, I think, every week. Sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, God. Uh, if you're listening to this, Andrew, we do love and value you. Uh, you could put yourself in at this moment and just say thank you in your lovely voice if you want.
2: Thank you so much to both of you, Una and Andrea, for adding layers of complication to my life that I had never previously envisaged. I don't know what I'd do without you.
0: Okay. Uh, I've been Una. I have been Andrea. That was thirty two words for thirty two counties in a thirty two country in you know the beautiful Irish language that we need to nourish, restore, replenish, speak, and above all, love. That's not a very snappy title. <laughs> We're gonna' we'll figure. We'll figure we'll do it in post. We'll figure it out. and we are United Ireland.
3: up, nigga, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. snap your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I want to ride. I do a kid one exercise. Put it in my mouth. Look at my eyes. You see sweat. like a dog. Tie me up like i got surprise. Let's roll play. I wear the skies. I want you to park that Big Mac truck right in the store of go ride. Make it scream, Make me scream. I don't pull it. Make a scene. I don't cook. I don't clean. But let me tell you, I got this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down the side of me, yeah. I'll run down on the before I have a nigga running to me I your shit, I your lip, ask for a call while you got that dick why You ain't never got a fucking for a thing He's already made his mind, up boy, hang. can't I Now get your boots, not your coat, fuck this wet-ass pussy He bought a phone just for pictures, fuck this wet-ass pussy Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet-ass pussy Now make it rain if you wanna see some wet-ass pussy Look, I need a hard hit, I need a deep stroke I need a handy drink, I need a weed smoke Not a garden nigga, I need a King Cole I want to stick, I want to go, I want to gag, I want to choke, I want you to touch that little dangly thing dang, that's swinging the back of my throat. My hacking is Byer, who now needs his is going and trying, it's coming outside, y'all yeah, look at that, thing. now the cubs behind me, I stole his mic and I heat trying to sign me. Yana, I'm a freak bitch, can't leashes, switch my wig, make him feel like a G-10, put him on his knees, give him something to believe in, never love him. Nick drop that's some wet ass pussy little and